This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Join us today as we talk about traveling. This is the Life of an Architect podcast, and I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Landon Williams. And together, we're going to be talking about traveling and how architects may or may not go about it differently than other people. Other people. I almost said regular people there. <laughs> so architects, traveling, it's kind of a big deal. I don't know yes. an architect who doesn't make traveling a part of who they are. We talk about it a lot. So why travel? Why do architects travel? I think as with anyone, you know, people are curious, and so it's kind of appeasing a um, innate curiosity for the world, which I think you should just have as a person. Um, that's right, because that's not an architectural trait. That's a human being trait. Yeah, yeah, so everyone loves traveling, and the idea of being able to travel the world on any whim and float in the sea, the seven great seas on yachts and <laughs> enjoying your life as a traveler. Yeah, okay, but, uh, well, let me ask you this. I hate traveling. I love to be other places. Yeah. But the act of traveling? Mm-hmm. All hey, the preparation involved? Uh, well, it's not the prep so much. <laughs> it's the get in the car, drive, go to the remote parking lot, go stand in the security line, yeah. sit in a chair that's too small for me. You know, That's a less, less appeasing than the selfies in Greece and being on the beaches of Italy. I thought about this the other day, and if I had one of those, like, rub the genie bottle, and you get three wishes, yeah, and it couldn't be for the benefit of anybody else, so don't judge me when I don't cure all diseases. <laughs> you can only use these wishes for yourself. That'll be number three. Yeah. No, 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 zero. No, just for yourself. Yeah. So what would your three wishes be? I thought the other day one of my wishes would be that I could, like, snap my fingers and poof, show up wherever I wanted to be. Okay. Right. That would be it. And then I don't have to worry about the part of traveling that I dislike the most, the act of getting to where I'm going. It's that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Do you hate it? Yeah. it's. I mean, it's definitely not enjoyable, but I try to focus on the good while that's happening. I'm like, in about three hours, I'll be, you know, where I need to be, sitting in a lawn chair, chilling. Yeah, that's three hours. See, that's, that we're going to get to that because... <laughs> 13 hours. Well, at the difference in our stations in life, yeah. we inherently take different types of trips, mm-hmm. right? I think the vast majority of my trips, when I think about a trip, I think about, well, I got to get on a plane, mm-hmm. go somewhere, and then get on a boat, and then get on a mule, mule. Oh, and have somebody carry up a mountain. So why do architects travel? I think the answer to that question lies not only into our curious nature, mm-hmm. but I think that our desire to see how similar solutions or similar problems are solved in different areas is of inherent interest to what we do day in and day out. Mm -hmm. Like I can tell you, and I had this conversation with um, somebody just the other day, and that is due to our location in the southern central part of the country, like the middle bottom, Mm -hmm. we have a lot of access to highly skilled labor. And as a result, doing masonry projects here is a lot more cost effective than it might be up north. Mm -hmm. And so... The default for houses down here is that they're brick. Yeah. There's some regional aspect to what we do. Kind of yeah. once you're within your cluster or your working area almost. That's right. And if you never and if you never traveled, you might not ever realize that, hey, if you go to the Pacific Northwest, there's not a lot of brick houses up there. Mm-hmm. Or not as much. That's not like the standard, whereas yeah. down here it is. Yeah. And then if you cast that net even larger, you might not realize that 
hey, the types of brick we use here are different than the types of brick they might use in, say, northern Africa, right? Yep. I think that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But surely there's got to be some sort of cultural aspect to why we travel and why that may shape who we are as a service provider, as architects. Yeah. I think it's not only a matter of expanding your own personal horizons and being a more more of a citizen of the world, but, you know, hopefully having access, but being part of other cultures, you're able to bring in something or find something that maybe works for them. They could also bring into your own work. So there's sort of a, a net of knowledge you're accessing by traveling. Maybe we can segue from that comment into, so how does travel different for an architect from like throughout their lives? Mm-hmm. So as an, as a student, yeah, and I don't want to make it as a child, because as a child, you don't really have a say in where you go. <laughs> but as a student, mm-hmm. you know, how does the effect of traveling happen? Like, like, for instance, I went to Europe for about five months in the fifth year of my uh, education, my college education. Mm-hmm. And I was there with a bunch of other architecture students. It was a kind of a travel bar- abroad program that I was a part of. Yeah, I, was a, I had a similar case where I was fourth year and did a European travel program and how long were you, how long did you travel? How long I were think you? it was uh it was August to November, so what is that? Three and a half I think it was about three and a half months because we came back before Thanksgiving. Yeah. So let me uh, tell me if this is similar to you. So mm-hmm. when we went, it was and it was probably about thirty five of us. It was actually you and I have talked about this before. Yeah. It was actually a joint travel abroad program between my school, University of Texas, and your school, Virginia yep. Tech. Yep. We were there for basically the tail end of summer, the entire fall semester. And then independent travel up till like, I think I got back like two days before Christmas. Yeah, very similar. We had a, ours was broken into two pieces. And so we did kind of a Northern Europe piece, um, ended in Paris. And then you had a week to do independent travel, go wherever you wanted. And then the last, last half was sort of into France and then back down to Italy. Well, when we, when I was there, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was really exciting. At that time in my life, I hadn't been anywhere. You know, most of my relatives uh, on my dad's side of the family are in Minnesota. So, like, every couple of years we would migrate north. But if you drew a straight line between Dallas and where they lived in Minnesota, it was like a straight line. Yeah. Right? So, the Oklahoma, Kansas, you know, like, that's what I saw. That was the only places that I ever went. And we didn't stop. Like, we're the point was to get to Minnesota. Yeah. And so, my first real experience with seeing how things are done other than in Dallas where I live was when I was 22 years old and I was in Europe and pretty much from the crack of dawn till well past dark every single day for that trip Mm -hmm. was architecture. It was how much can I see? How fast can I see it? Yep. You know, check the box. It had to bring a good pair of shoes. I remember I brought, I bought some really bad shoes and blew through them within the first four or five weeks, like literally had a hole in the bottom. (laughs) <laughs> had to throw them away and buy some shoes and some random. I think it was like in Florence or something. I bought some random Nike shoes. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't remember wearing out my shoes, but yeah, we did a lot of walking uh, we, slash yeah. power walking because the person leaning us around was about he was about six nine and he was just strolling and we we're all like sprinting behind him <laughs> to keep up. Every one of his strides was like three of your strides. Yeah, it's crazy. I I can tell you. So like an example would be so when I was in Paris, I mean at, we were there for about. Nine days or eight days somewhere. It was one mm-hmm. of our destination locations. So oh, yeah. yep. the way this trip worked is we had kind of home bases that would occur at certain kind of marquee cities. Mm-hmm. And then we would take these 
day trips or we would take three or four days to get to the next marquee city and we would have these stops along the way. And when I was in Paris, I can tell you, I saw a ton of stuff. Yeah. But when I look back on my trip as a student to Paris, it was pretty unmemorable, to be honest with you. I mean, I remember seeing some stuff, but there was no context. Mm-hmm. And so when I got older and had a little bit more lining my pockets, as they say, uh, my wife and I brought our then five-year-old daughter, Kate, with us to Paris. Yeah. And the experience of going there as a student versus as a grown-up could not have been more different. And a big part of that was, you know, we had scheduled X number of activities to take place every single day. And very quickly, we learned that that was not going to work with a five-year-old. So it caused us to change our pattern and our behavior a little bit. And we started mixing in more parks, you know, so it wasn't, hey, today we're going to go to these three museums. Mm -hmm. It was this morning, we're going to go to the park and we're going to run around and we're going to play and we're going to you know, sailboats in this little pond. And it caused, it caused us all to slow down. And then in the afternoon, we might go to a museum and, uh, my daughter would get bored fairly quickly. You know, she was just good for a five-year-old. No, I could imagine, but you're not going to go to Paris and not go to certain museums. Yeah. But you don't want to stack up all these monuments or museums. It just comes, we we probably cut off the list almost. No question. Yeah. We probably cut our agenda down by 60% mm-hmm. when we brought her. But it fundamentally changed. So now all of a sudden I, I, I slowed down enough to look and see the things that were around the thing that I was going to see. Yeah. Yep. And and it changed my experience. Like just even walking through a museum with a five-year-old had a profound impact on how I experienced that museum. And it wasn't, this is a pain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my daughter doesn't want to be here. Yeah. It was, hey, I want to look at this. Starry Night by Van Gogh. I want to mm-hmm. look at this for longer than, yep, there it is, and move on. So I started carrying my daughter around with me, and I'd want to look at it for a while. So I would start asking her questions. I'd say, what do you see in this picture? What do you think those yellow dots are? Mm-hmm. How many do you see in this photo? And we started having these conversations, and then she started making up stories about what it was. And I know that we looked at, and I don't remember, you know, I should know this, but we looked at a painting. Mm-hmm. And it was that it's the one where the woman's sitting in the bar and she's really sad looking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was looking at like how the paint went on the, you know, how did he put the paint on the, on the, yeah, uh, some of the I technique saying involved. Paper. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was like really drilling how down. How can on I replicate it. this? Yeah. I wasn't so trying I to <laughs> sell it for millions of dollars. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to replicate his style in this afternoon. <laughs> uh, but my daughter starts telling me the story about what that picture means and how that woman was waiting for someone who didn't show up and she was sad. Yeah, that's part of art. And she's she's yeah. tapping into the inner, like, sort of deeper consciousness yeah. of maybe what the artist was trying to do. And it was that act of traveling mm-hmm. and having that variable, which at the time was my five-year-old daughter, made the experience profoundly better. And so I look at you as a 25-year-old just out of school and realize you have all this travel in front of you that is going to be fundamentally different from any travel you've had up until this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was this, I had a similar case when my, my study abroad, it was sort of literally running around cities, looking at as much as possible, but sort of, uh, maybe I should have done more to prepare, like going in because we had a list of what we were trying to see, but 
I think we were just kind of hitting everything. And we're like, oh, I remember this. We learned about this in school. Or, you know, it was obviously things we had never seen before. And we're just trying to take sketches or write notes about what we're looking at. Um, but it was really just kind of like a flash through Europe almost. So let me, maybe it was like this for you. But when I look back on my time in Europe, it was almost like a virtual reality tour of Europe. Mm-hmm. Because I know the building. I saw the building. Yeah. I'm looking at the details. But there was nothing around it. I have no memory of character of the place mm-hmm. you know and i didn't i didn't have like the historical context of what else was going on when this building was being built yeah you oh, know yeah. it's it's the idea of like ringo star is a drummer for the beatles mm-hmm. if you just listen to it you go yeah okay the guy knows how to keep a beat right not that great you listen to neil pert from rush now that guy knew how to play drums oh yeah well the truth is is that what makes ringo star special as a percussionist is that he played the drums differently than anyone had ever played them before. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that context in place when you listen to it, you're missing out on a lot of layers of what makes that special or what yeah. makes it unique or oh, what yeah. brings value to that to that moment. And architecture could do that to you. But if you're just walking down the street, you're just skimming the surface of why this may be worthwhile or notable or why you should pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. So to that end, do you prepare if you're going to take a trip somewhere? Do you prepare for that trip or do you just, yep, I know that I want to see this building while I'm there. And when you get there and you look it up on Google Maps and you walk over. I feel like you, you almost, to get more out of it, I think you should prepare. Not that I have ever, never, <laughs> yeah, never have. But I feel like going to those, you know, you have places you want to see. Um, so maybe reading a book to give it some context to why it's there or how to get there, who built it um, might bring a deeper meaning to those things rather than trying to just see a like literally just see a bunch of stuff just pick a few that you know or sort of uh seem interesting to you and you want to know more about yeah that's almost better than having well, a surface level appreciation for sure things. that's brick yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i wonder if it's going to be your girlfriend mm-hmm. she is in the field as we say interior design yes yes so i would imagine that you might have or might not have depending how you want to approach this. Mm-hmm. Like if you said, hey, I want to go look at all these projects. Yeah. She might have an interest that aligns with yours. Yeah, fortunate. When you do this, mm-hmm. right? Um, my wife and her advanced degrees of math stacked up to the side here mm-hmm. does not necessarily have the same level of interest. So you want to visit campuses and look at math uh, <laughs> theses? She doesn't. Ah. She doesn't because uh, those things are hard to find. Uh, yes. I, I remind you on these times I'll tell. So when I'll tell now, <laughs> here we go. Prepare yourself. Uh, this might get cut out. Okay. <laughs> it's off topic. <laughs> but when my wife was fixing to graduate from uh, UT, mm-hmm. where she got her master's degree in math, yeah, she she's insane. She gets insane. stuff gets stuff done. You might want to cut out insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, like nothing phases her. She's yeah. like, this needs to get done, and it gets done. Yeah. She does it. Okay. And so she rented a U-Haul truck. In Austin, mm-hmm. drove up here with with like floppy disk files that had her thesis on it. Yeah, we ended up basically she drove up here to pick me up, and while she was here, she needed to print out her thesis so she could b- have it bound and turned back in. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning, we drove back down to Austin where I helped load her up, you know, pack up her apartment, all that kind of stuff, and then drive back to Dallas. Yeah. So this is back in the, you know, like three, I mean, I'm going to give a reference. No one will understand. I mean, these floppy disks were five and a half inches. Like the power of this computer 
was like a fraction of what the worst cell phone yeah. technology is. <laughs> and her thesis, when she printed it out, it took like seven hours oh, to compile and print out. And when it came off, I get the biggest kick out of it because no human being could possibly understand what her thesis is mm-hmm. unless you have advanced degrees in math. Cause it'll say if blah, 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 like all symbols, yeah. like math doesn't involve numbers at the level she was at. It's all, it's all very N subprime F sub subgroup of G over the sect of blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Hardest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I don't remember why I told this story. So it, it'll assuredly uh, end up on the cut. Oh, why? What things you might want to see, you know, Oh, yeah. While you're in, you're traveling. That's around. right. Yeah. Yes. My wife does not want to go to libraries and look at <laughs> math books. Yes. Okay. But just like anybody, she might want to go to see Notre Dame mm-hmm. while we're in Paris. Right. Oh, yeah. She has an interest in, in those types of spaces, but the, her level does not go as deep as mine does. Mm-hmm. And so we end up having to find some kind of compromise on what we do when we take these trips. And the compromise, really, what it's now that we've been married for 25, six years. Mm-hmm. The compromise is she plans the vacations and I do what she plans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't like planning. I just don't like doing it. Yeah. But I have a good attitude. If she says this is what we're doing, it's going gonna, gonna to be awesome. Yeah. yeah. I would never say, oh, you didn't put the good stuff on. There's not enough gelato shops between here and there. <laughs> well, depending where you are, there's always a lot of gelato well, shops. That's true. Do you have, and also the types of trips that we probably take are different. Mm-hmm. You know, like. We take our daughter all around. My daughter's been in a, a lot of countries at this yeah. point. Um, but at some point, like your trips are get in the car and drive someplace for the most part. Yeah. Yep. You know. Those are the easiest. Well, partly, it, you know, we were talking about what constitute a trip. Mm-hmm. And I kind of made the crack that your last trip that you took was to a state park in Oklahoma. Yeah. Only two and a half hours away, I guess. Two and a half hours away. Yeah. And I kind of said, well, that's not a trip. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was a trip. I was like, I've been playing this for like two weeks. I actually yeah. put it on my calendar yeah. and everything. It's a trip. And and you said it is a trip. And I go, like going to the grocery store is a trip. Like, <laughs> I hardly ever go there either. <laughs> <laughs> but just like, you still got to plan for it, right? You got to make yeah. your shopping list. You got to yeah. plan. And you know, you got to say, well, I'm going to go Thursday. Mm-hmm. So it still kind of has all the same kind of components of any other trip. Yeah. It just doesn't require as much planning. <laughs> yes, that was true. I literally did no planning. I think we just... We're like, uh, actually, an hour before we left, we didn't know if we were going to Turner Falls or we were going to the Eisenhower State Park. And I just kind of Googled both. And I was like, Turner Falls looks more fun. What we're if you shut up and they're like, we don't have any room for you? It was 80 bucks to get in. It was 80 bucks for two nights and two people. Wow. For camping in a tent on the ground. <laughs> did they provide sanitation they did. facilities? They, yes, they, they gave us those at least. They saw you and they're like, well, that's 75 bucks for that guy. <laughs> You're going to need your own dedicated latrine and power washer. <laughs> Normally it's $5 and they saw you and they're like, Mm-mm. we need to bump that up. <laughs> okay. So how do you plan? Well, that was a bad segue because you don't plan. I don't, yeah. <laughs> there it is. There's my answer. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's pretend for a moment that you were going to go. Let's take Paris. Let's, since that seems to be on, on the rotation. Uh, okay. If, if I said, hey, Landon, here's two tickets to Paris. You're going to go in a month. Mm-hmm. Right, it's good for a week. You're going to come back in a week. What would you do? What would be the first thing? Like, would you plan, or would you just go? Sweet, I'm going to Paris, and then <laughs> nothing for the next three and a half weeks. I mean, yeah, I mean, the trip to Paris, of course, that's a a little bit bigger uh, endeavor. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what I would, I don't know what I would do first. I, just, I feel like I would just, I would to research the 
the living crud off everything and figure out what I haven't done or figure out, you know, places I haven't been in Paris yet. Yeah, see, I struggle, like, even as you're pausing and you're looking at me with this deer in the headlights look, like, I don't know what I would do. I have a hard time. I know you well enough at this point to go, I think you'd. I think you would do a lot to get ready for that trip. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think that's the nature of, of who you are is that you would do some preparatory work. Mm-hmm. Um, me, on the other hand, I would skim through some stuff. I'd go to the bookstore. I'd probably buy some travel books. I'd read up on some generic history. I would probably look and see, well, where are we going and what's geographically convenient to what I would want to take a look at. Yeah. Now, depending on the city, there might be, I definitely need to see these handful of things. Like those would be for sure. Got to do it moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but since I let my life, my wife plan most of these things, I tend to try to look for like stolen opportunities or, Hey, can we do this while we're here? Mm-hmm. But when we were in Paris with my, when my daughter was five, um, we ended up looking for different parks. We realized like how well that worked, like let her run around, eat an ice cream cone, you know, chase birds, whatever, that that worked out really great. And of course, Paris has fantastic parks. Oh, yeah. Right. And there, it's an event in and of itself to go to them. And there's planning and you can walk mm-hmm. and there's galleries. People and watching. And- it's beautiful. So it, I didn't feel like I was really missing out on stuff. But one of the one of the parks we went to, and I'll, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, there was a, there was a, basically the Paleontology Museum, hmm. which is this unbelievably beautiful building. Yeah. Right across the street. And I didn't know this building existed. I didn't know what it was. And I certainly didn't, you know, a month out go, oh, on this day, we need to go to this building. But since it was right next to this park that we were going to go to, I said, hey, why don't we pop into this building? It was like the most beautiful building up until that point in my life that I actually had ever seen Mm. and been in close contact with. Really? Just ran across it too. And I just stumbled into it. And it was beautifully detailed. And I mean, and it's, it's, I won't say it's dilapidated, but it's certainly not getting the love and attention that it probably needs. I mean, the stairwell has these handrails that are these ornamental carved, like, flowers. And yeah. they put netting over it. Because I guess mm, if you get too close, the... it would rip the skin off your bones. Oh, okay. But it's, it's kind of cobwebby, you know? Yeah. And there's some parts you go, well, no one's really paying attention to this anymore. Yeah. They're, but, they're building layers of character on it. There definitely was character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's also full of bones. Like, they actually mm. have this section called the herd. And yeah. you, you walk into this one big giant room and there's like a whale, the carcass of a whale bones. It's called there's, the herd? It's called the herd. Okay. So they have like this, literally, I'll show you the picture later. Yeah. It's unbelievable. They actually have like little babies. Oh. Like that they put in there. Yeah. Which are really creepy. It's like these, <laughs> I don't know, maybe they're uh, 18 months old or something. Uh-huh. And there's their full skeleton oh, of a small child. And yeah. There's three of them. Yeah. Horrifying. Yeah. There was a... Museum in I was up going to a wedding in near Philadelphia, and so we we're flying in out of Philadelphia. And uh, me and Rachel went to a museum. I forget the name. I think it's something to do with physicians uh, museum or something like that. We can I'll show you or shoot a link to it. It had these things. It was just bodies and bones and organs and they had all these like little baby skeletons. I was like, yeah, we're gonna you know ma- we're skip over this section. I'm here. making a face, a gruesome yeah. face. There was a special exhibit was of human hair. Art pieces done with human hair Gross. in the 18th century. Gross. Grossest, but most interesting special exhibit I've been to in a while. Terrifying. I would <laughs> not do that. I don't like hair. Yeah, if it's, it's not attached, I want nothing to do with it. It was a little odd. <laughs> it's funny because it's it's right next to like the um, outdoor garden of the museum. So you can pause halfway through the exhibit and go outside and get some fresh air and think about your life. Yeah. <laughs> and why you're in that particular exhibit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Well, these these baby bones, they're not disturbing. Like they're not mm-hmm. you don't look at it and go, that's disgusting. Ooh. Yeah. You just look at it and go, wow, that used to be that was like a child. Yeah. Right? And that's the part that's a little disconcerting, but they have like moose, like the biggest moose I've ever seen in my life. Oh, okay. They have like a saber-toothed tiger head. So that's and, cool. That's yeah, cool. there's I mean there's but they're right next to each other. It's not like you look at this one fully articulated carcass of bones mm-hmm. and then walk 15 steps and there's another one yeah they're inches apart from one another which huh. i think is part of the reason why they call it a herd yeah because you you're looking at stuff from feet away and you're looking through hundreds of animals that are completely articulated mm-hmm. super great so let's talk about something less interesting <laughs> all right <laughs> sweet packing oh god do you like i hate packing but i'm good at it i'm turns out I'm like a savant when it comes to packing. Yeah, I'm, I, I guess I'm in the similar similar case. I I try to be I go with the minimalist route and wear like one pair of pants and twelve pa- pairs of underwear. Twelve, you know, underwear and socks. Those are the things you have to change out. Yeah. every day. But otherwise, twice a day. Twice, yeah, sometimes twice a day. Yeah, not because um, there's. I mean, really. I mean, I'm not. I'm kind of joking, but I'm not really joking. Like my default is if I'm going on a trip somewhere and it involves any kind of like moving from A to B to C to D yeah. for any length of time, I go, I'm gone five days. That's 10 pairs of underwear. Man, prepared. Yeah. Because yeah, you know what? I get dressed. I shower every day. I'm very clean. I'm not a germ germ person, mm-hmm. but I think people appreciate me taking care of that kind of business. <laughs> I appreciate it since I sit next <laughs> to you. And so I will get dressed, but then when that's over, you know, there's almost always nighttime activities. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to go get clean. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm not putting on, you know, it's time for a change. <laughs> and so pretty much 2X shirts, underwear, and socks for every day. How about that? Yeah. Prepared. And I make it work. And you just kind of, sh- you just shove it in a box. No, no, bag. no, no. I have, so not only does my, the things I bring put me into the savant category of mm-hmm. packing. The manner at which I pack, it's like, it's museum quality. I'm, I'm imagining you and classical music in the background, and you're like drifting throughout the room and folding things in a bag. I do fold. I'm not a roller. I'm a folder. Okay. I learned a long time ago that if you want to keep stuff from getting wrinkled, it, it's it's how it moves around. That's what causes the wrinkle, not, mm-hmm. the, not the how you jam it in there, even These though are- if you do jam it in there. Expert tips. These, these are expert tips. So, for instance, I might pack for a week trip. Say it's a business trip. Mm-hmm. And I pack five button-down shirts. And if I fold them up, put them in a bag. But I fold them all together. So I put one shirt down and I button the buttons up. And I then put the – and it's completely open. Arms are to the side. And I lay the next shirt on top of it, buttoned up. And then the third shirt on top of that. And then I fold them all together as one big Mm. Like one five layer yeah. thick shirt. Okay. And and when they don't move, they don't wrinkle. Hmm. See? Interesting. Smart. Thank you. Now these dipstick. These tips are well beyond the put your socks in your in your belt in your shoes. Right. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. that's 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 be, basic entry level. That's one oh one. One Google away knowing. <laughs> you think people actually Google how to pack? I may have done it the other day. <laughs> Got one of those how to articles. How many underwear to bring? <laughs> 1.7 underwear per day. Per day. Yep. That's so, the ratio. I don't believe you. When you take these, so most of the trips you've taken, mm-hmm. right? So I'm I'm aware of your trips because you have to get permission. Yeah. <laughs> Just says PTO, Landon Williams. Yeah, PTO. But then it'll say, 
like you went for like a bachelor party, yeah, wedding kind of thing, and then you went to go visit some friends on like you went coast to coast twice. Like you were in yeah, we went to L.A. which was kind of a, just a personal trip, and then went to the other coast to a bachelor party, Atlantic City, and then went. I came back down, and then the very next weekend went back up near there, north at uh, Long Beach Island for a wedding. I was hopping around. And those were that's three weekends in a row. Yeah, basically. it was crazy. Yeah, it that was, was a lot. that was a lot of travel. <laughs> Did you? Uh, so when when you packed for that stuff, do you? So what kind mm-hmm. of bag do you use? Uh, I went and got like a little uh, one small enough that I could roll on and carry on. I got a. I invested in a Tumi sort of a little wow. carry on bag. Yeah, fancy. but I went to like Nordstrom Rack and got it, so it wasn't like it was bargain fancy. Bargain fancy. Yeah, that's. That's ju- that's my life motto right now. Bargain, Bargain fancy. fancy. Well, you want something to last, right? You don't want to spend yeah, that's one dollar. That's the kind of thing I'm going to keep for you know, a long time. I'm not going to. So throw it's like away. It's, so it's like a, a roll on bag. Yeah, yeah. Can I tell you something that makes me throwback guy? What's that? I don't like roll on bags. You got the you got the duffel bag. Well, it's not a duffel bag, but it is a it's a shoulder bag. Okay. There's something about I don't know where I got this in my head. Because let me tell you, roller bags are way easier. But yes. there's something about it. if I'm if I'm gone for four days or less, I don't use a roll-on bag. Okay. I I use a shoulder bag because yeah. it seems more manly. <laughs> Imagine you with your aviators and you got your duffel bag off to the side and you're getting ready to get on your private plane. Yeah, that's all, what, that's what happens, right? All that's true except for the private, except for the <laughs> aviators. Oh. No. <laughs> yeah, no private, no private jets oh, for me. Yeah. But yeah, I. I think there's some, there's like, you know, 1950s. It's got like old school cool, Palm I Springs think. guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I have a I really good that. one. I love it. And, yeah. uh, and there's, um, cause it's four days of clothes is not that heavy. Oh yeah. yeah right? It's it's almost unnecessary to bring a roll on. Yeah. For that. And I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. But People then judge you. I do, I do have a roll on bag that I'll bring if I have to go somewhere longer. And then I have a yeah. gargantuan bag. I mean, it is. Like, I'm pretty sure I could fit into it. It's embarrassing if I use it. But, for instance, I was up at, uh, up at the National Convention, mm-hmm. and I was there for four days yep. and instantly went into a 10-day vacation. So I had basically 15 days worth of clothes. Yeah. And on one hand, it was professional clothes yeah, for the first say. half. Yeah. And then it was hiking, outdoor, could be kind of cold at night clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I have a big bag for when those moments happen. Here's the next thing I want to get into. Mm-hmm. You and I have actually taken a trip together, a work yep. a work trip. Work trip. Yeah. And I've done a lot of travel for work over the last three years. You know, I mean, enough to where I have status because, which I'd never would have thought as a residential, well, I'm not really just a residential architect. I'm all things. <laughs> um, but these were for, for residential projects and mm-hmm. I'm, I was ping ponging across the country. Yep. Uh, which I never would have thought as a residential architect that that would be part of what my life was, but it's what it is. And it's pretty cool. I like it a lot. So we have a project that you came along with me on. Mm-hmm. That was a weird sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Up to the great woods of Wisconsin, yeah. northern Wisconsin. Yeah. So we have, and if you go to the site, I'll put a couple links to some of the posts. We did a Really beautiful cabin up in the northern part of Wisconsin. Mm. And it's not particularly easy to get to. Not at all. Uh, but it's not hard. It's just, it's a day. Yeah. Right? So we would fly out pretty early in the morning. We would fly from Dallas to Madison, Wisconsin, get in a rental car, and then drive for like 
four hours north. Mm, the entire state, essentially. Yeah. Now, it's a longer drive if you're not me. I'm, I'm a lead foot. <laughs> I don't like going slow. Yeah. And let me tell you, shout, shout out to the state of Wisconsin. They don't drive in the left-hand lane. They get out of that lane. So it's easy. They, Smart. It's like they don't even have to see me coming. It's like... it's like They already thought about it. Yeah, it's Moses parting the, the interstate in Wisconsin <laughs> for me. So we drove up there, and you were up there for about two weeks. Yep. Right? Yep. I was up there for about a week. Mm-hmm. And the reason we went up there was we were doing closeout on the cabin. Yep. And I needed to be up there for a certain amount of responsibility, but then we were going to leave you up there to make sure that these final bits actually got done. Yeah, we needed to get our CO. So there were just kind of a two or three items left. We had the contractor get in and verify that certain things were in, yeah. in order. And we didn't really trust the contractor to do what he needed to do. Yeah, so we needed a set of eyes <laughs> yeah. that were on our side for sure. Yeah, we did a little babysitting. Yeah. So, but you didn't really, you weren't, I mean, you weren't billable to this job for the most part. Yeah, that wasn't my, my, that wasn't my only job there. Um, so I ended up actually bringing an entire desktop computer so the tower, <laughs> monitor, and all brought it on carry-on. Yeah. Brought it through security and through everything, which is an interesting story because they were very questionable into my bringing. Because I just had it shut. It literally had its own bag. Yeah. And so, like, take yeah. all your laptops, blah, 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 phones, blah. And I was like, what about <laughs> a uh, desktop computer? And the guy just kind of looked at me. Like, why? Like, he thought I was making a joke. And I was like, <laughs> and I kind of unzipped it and showed him. And he's like... Yeah, we're going to need you to step off to the side. <laughs> Literally, every airport I went to, I got patted down for random checks. I'm doing air quotes right now, which you can't see, but... Yeah, he's doing them. It was... Uh, yeah, that was interesting. They made me open up the desk, the uh, tower and everything. It sounds so preposterous, it was, it was what hilarious. we did. Like, like I don't... You know, because we're on Revit, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a hog in terms of power. Oh, yeah. We don't really have laptops that are really set up to be productive yeah. and run Revit on them. So, we needed to bring... Mm-hmm. Full-blown system. Now, that's another thing. It was a brand new. Like, we had just gotten that computer for me. Yeah. And so, it was its first week, was it was in Wisconsin. Yeah. And it's not one of these giant towers. It's kind of like a compact one. But yeah, it was it, like a mid, mid-sized mid tower. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so funny watching you haul this all this <laughs> stuff around. It was so ridiculous. Yeah, but I needed it to... Uh, I think not only was I doing stuff for that cabin project, maybe little edits here and there, but I was also working on the, the residential project we were doing. Yeah, so we had, a, we had a big residential project. So, mm-hmm. once we got up there... Uh, there's no furniture in the house, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So we set up shop on the kitchen island mm-hmm. and I brought up drawings and I'm redlining them, marking them up and I'm doing design sketches and Landon standing there next to me on the computer, picking up marks, you know, doing drawings. And I mean, it, it was, it was a remote office for a week, yeah. basically. Um, pretty killer view for a remote office. Great view. Yeah. And it was, in, it was summertime, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so. Yeah, it was about July. I think it was July because it was. Yeah, I was moving that uh, month or something. Yeah, so you get to leave Texas heat mm-hmm. for like this fabulous, cool, perfect weather. Oh my, it's amazing. They may have thought it was hot, but no, hot for them is yeah. eighty. Ooh. I mean, I I might shank somebody for eighty yeah. right now. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I take it seriously. But seriously, I would. yeah, seriously, I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> so when I left, you stayed up there and continued working. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was great about that? There wasn't really any hour necessarily. Like it wasn't an eight to five kind of thing. I could, you know, work through the morning and then because the afternoons are so nice, I could get out. They had kayaks. The clients let us use their kayaks and fishing poles. So I was able to get out there and try to catch some smallmouth, which I was successful in doing. Yeah. Didn't you go go buy a license or weren't you worried? Yeah. About I went on the way up there, I went and got a license. You, you can get like a temporary two or three day license. So yeah. 
That, I didn't want to be legally fishing, of course, in the yeah. public waters. Well, that points back to, may I say, like, you're like mm. the most buttoned up, you know, like, yeah. you really have your stuff together. Yeah. I, I would not have gone and bought a license. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure people do that, but, you know. Yeah. Well, you take your outdoor, you know, you're serious Yeah, you'll be a responsible sportsman, you know. Yeah. But it, anyway, it was nice to get out there in the afternoons and I could come back when it's nighttime. There's not really anything going on and work on the, uh, just do more other work on the residential project. So years ago. I want to circle back around to not just work travel, but mm-hmm. pleasure travel. Yeah. You know, and architects as pleasure travelers. Um, I used to always joke that if you dated an architect, you will never go to some place like hedonism for vacation. Hedonism. Yeah. You know, that's like some, isn't that like on Jamaica or someplace like that? And lots of naughty stuff. I don't know. Maybe oh, it's a okay. bad example. <laughs> I was like, oh. I've never been there. All right. Um, but you put, won't put that on my list real quick. Yeah, you're like, could you? How do you spell yeah. that? What's the URL for that? <laughs> um, but if, if you're not going someplace architecturally significant, mm-hmm. you're not going to go there, right? That's yeah. that was kind of yeah. my joke. If if you're with an architect, that's the way this is going to run. Yeah. Um, but years ago, a couple of years ago, I wrote a blog post, and it was I called it the architectural bucket list, mm-hmm. and the the premise was. If I could go anywhere in the world, where would I go? What are the places I want to go to that I've never been to? Yeah. And as I, as I, and it really didn't take me, it took me like maybe two minutes to come up with this list. They were already there. Knew exactly where you wanted to. Well, you know, I don't know. The, the, you know, I kind of compared it to going, going grocery shopping when you're hungry. Mm -hmm. You know, there were certain kind of similarities Uh, between the places that I chose. And I go, maybe this is what my, my mind is telling me I need right now. Mm -hmm. And that's why all these places seem so appealing. Yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily true because these places have been on my mind for years, right? And so I listed them all, and it's and it turns out they're all really remote, landscape heavy, outdoor places. There yeah. wasn't there wasn't a single building on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wanted to go to the air, certain areas in Japan. I wanted to go to the Antarctic. I wanted to go to New Zealand. I wanted to go to Iceland. I wanted to, you know, every place I chose was these like historically classic beautiful yeah. outdoor no building kind of spaces yeah which you were telling me this earlier and i uh i thought it was interesting because it's i've heard i don't remember who was telling me this but someone saying all of architecture is essentially a distillation of nature and so as an architect going into nature i think it's important not only to go and see other buildings but just sort of get away from it all which is kind of an esoteric thing but like going out into nature experiencing the world natural beauty of the world i think there's something to that yeah right because you know there's that phrase recharging your batteries like Mm -hmm. i'm going on vacation i need to recharge my batteries yeah and while i make fun of the fact that most architects hobbies are just extensions of being an architect Mm -hmm. uh, i think i've made a conscious effort over the last 10 or 15 years to not allow that to happen yeah now you could quickly point out that the most non-work you know consumer of my free time is this blog that i write which is about architecture which is about (laughs) architecture Uh, but it didn't start off that way yeah right and so when like i recently took a trip to maine right and i did not do any blogging you know i didn't go look i went and met with another architect up there because He's so remote. seemed like a wasted opportunity if I didn't at least try. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I like sat on a rock and looked at the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> and that was more of a recharge of my batteries than, you know, and I had somebody send me an email. They're like, oh my gosh, you were so close to this amazing house. And how could you not go? 
Yeah. That was like easy. <laughs> just didn't. <laughs> I didn't. It was easy for Have me not to do it. Have you seen this ocean thing? Yeah. The Atlantic? I like trees. I want to see more trees. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't love the bugs. Maine has a lot of bugs. Mm-hmm. You know, bloodthirsty. Maine, get to work on that. Yeah. Handle up on your business, Maine. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's, they're like, well, we're impervious. This is just for the tourists. Mm. Right? Like, they know. They're there on purpose. The keep, bugs. Keep you out. Yeah. Well, I do think there's something to the idea if you recharge your batteries that you go someplace and you don't be an architect. Yeah. Right? There's something to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you put on your architectural bucket list? Architectural bucket list. I think I think mine somewhat correlates with how you're saying these sort of remote places. Like I've always wanted to do a trip to the Rockies, which is just sort of like hiking and whitewater rafting. Um but getting outside the US, I I've always wanted to true do a trip to Ireland or Scandinavia or somewhere like that. I just feel like those places would be enjoyable to just travel around because they're so they scenic. They're just beautiful. inherently scenic places. Well, I've been to Ireland a few times, so that's yeah. why it's not on my bucket list, but it is. It's beautiful. Yes. But yes. Norway is. Norway's on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. But I'm Norwegian. I have a responsibility. <laughs> there's a route in there. Yeah, I have to go. Yeah, so I think I'm, I guess I'm so, there's a, there's also that appeal, I guess, in Ireland and Scottish, uh, I guess, Wales to extension of that. I, I know that somewhere down the line, the Williams family hails from Wales, as they say. Yeah, and if you saw Landon, you would know that. Yeah, no. White. Like, Freckly red hair. Red hair. So, you know, Irish mix. Yeah. You have a responsibility to your heritage. I must, my journey there. Yeah. I mean, you could have some Scandinavian blood in you too with the red. That's true. Eric the red. Your land in the red. That's actually my brother. That's your Tumblr handle. (laughs) (laughs) Craigslist name. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to change gears at this point. And so just like I named my site Life of an Architect, we are going to introduce a new segment today that has a bit more emphasis on the life portion mm. of the podcast. Okay. Yeah. To that end, we've decided to call it In My Spare Time. Believe it or not, uh, coming up with that title was a lot harder than when you, you would have thought. I mean, I must have... I mean, it's hard to come up with any ideas. And mm. I like to think I'm creative, but it took me about a week to come up with that. I think it's important to... As an architect, I think it's important for us to develop outside interests, not just have hobbies that are extension of being an architect. Yeah. Because uh, I think it ultimately rounds you out as a person. You know, it makes you a more complete individual, right? Yeah. There's more facets to you. Uh, and I think those facets allow you to actually become a better architect, right? I mean, I guess the way I, it's like sitting in front of a computer working all day, I think would make you a boring person. Yeah. Right. So don't do it. Don't don't do that. Don't be that person. Don't be a boring arch- don't be a boring person, period. Be, be a worldly yeah. person. Go do something. I don't care what it is. That's yeah. why it's spare time, right? In your spare time. So, Landon, what are you currently doing in your spare time? <laughs> Mine was kind of a secret. I didn't tell you this beforehand. I know. I uh actually just recently, a month and a half ago, built my own computer. What? Which uh <laughs> I know crazy. I uh nerdy it's funny. <laughs> it's funny it was just sort of a a thing that had well my my laptop that i had like all through school started giving me the blue screen of death yeah like in november december and so i was like all right i gotta do something about this because was it full of like youtube videos yeah i, I had about 20, uh, 200 open at the time thousand i didn't like it so <laughs> in my quest to open more youtube tabs i decided i was gonna build my own computer how'd that go 
it turned out well. Nothing went wrong. I did it. I mean, like you were saying, I did a lot of upfront research, which yeah. involved a lot of YouTube videos, coincidentally. Yeah. Go YouTube. Um, I, you know, I would, there's a lot of resources you kind of pull, forums and stuff, and to figure out what's going to fall within my budget, you know. And half of it is just figuring out. I didn't know how a computer worked. I didn't know what was involved. Power supply, CPU, GPU, all those other cords that connect GPU. everything. Your graphics card. Yes. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. This was actually a big part of it, I guess. Is um, And the goal was I was trying to build this computer that, you know, could store things like photos and all kind of like larger files we kind of collect as graphic wow. kind of people. But also um, I have it sort of like a gaming computer because I was, there's these really cool games I wanted to play, but. They all involve a heavy graphic system, so yeah. they're very open world kind of. I can games. tell you right now, you're going to regret having told me that you built a computer. I know that's why I hadn't told anybody. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can fun. see, I can see more computers being built by you yeah. in the very near future. <laughs> so, you want to hear about what I'm doing in my spare time? Yeah, yeah, hit me. Um, it's really not a surprise, but I've been doing a lot of barbecuing lately. Ooh, BBQ. I've told this a million times, mm-hmm. and I'm I feel a slight tinge of shame for saying it again. But Uh-oh. my backup plan, if this whole architecture thing didn't work out, was I was going to be a chef. Yeah, right. It's one of the few things that I think I'm actually really good at. Yeah, um, and I get it. I think the idea of what it takes to make a good chef mm-hmm. are are closely aligned with the same kind of personality traits of what it takes to make a good architect. Yeah, I think so. You know, there's creativity. There's you know, a certain amount of technical skill that's involved in it. There's mm-hmm. a certain amount of fly by to see your pants and see if something works. Scientific method, you know, do this, didn't yeah. work as good, There's change it slightly. historical, historical precedence. That's know, right, right? Do research, on. build upon it. Mm-hmm. And so years ago, and this probably started, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years ago yeah. is when I started. And it started with this like crummy little grill. And I decided I wanted to try to make ribs. Mm-hmm. And they turned out shockingly good. Like really good. Okay. And and I got more and more serious about it. Not so much that I spend a ton of money on it. Like I spend I spend more money on the food that I make than the equipment that I have to make it. Yeah. Okay. And uh but it's I have a I have a fairly good sized smoker. Mm-hmm. And you know that like I made all the food for our twenty five year office party. Yeah, it was turned out amazing. Yeah, it turned out pretty good, right? Yeah. And I made all the food for my own fiftieth birthday party. Mm-hmm. Which I think turned out even better, quite honestly. Oh yeah, and uh, and I make food a lot of times, and I can't eat it. I mean, I mean, I can eat food, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I smoke a brisket. I'm not eating twelve pounds of brisket. Yeah, it's I'm, by its very nature, it's kind of a shareable, yeah, you know, thing. So you guys are frequently the beneficiaries of I made food and I bring it up to the office, and I'm like first four people to the fridge get these cryo packs that I've made. We love it. And my neighbor, he he's a frequent beneficiary as well. Mm, that's why he keeps living here. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also an excuse to drink beer. Yeah. Right. That's true. Guilt free. I mean, I'm a little guilty because it's it's adding up around my <laughs> my waistband. That's an interesting question. Was barbecue developed in order just to drink beer? Or have a have something you know had to sit around and watch? You know, had nothing else better to do, or people actually wanted to cook mm, that piece of meat, chicken or egg, mm. barbecue and beer. Let us know what you think. Lettuce. (laughs) Lettuce. Oh, God. All right. I'm going to call that a wrap. All right. Thank you for being with us for episode four, Traveling. I think we're getting better at this, hopefully. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for spending your time with us. Hopefully it was as good for you as it was for us. And if you liked this episode, and I'm going to say even if you didn't, 
please be sure to head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast so you can get the hottest, the freshest new episodes. If iTunes isn't your player of choice, we're also on Google Play, tuned in Android, and I think within the next couple of days, Spotify picked us up. Oh, really? Yeah. Ooh, I think that's exciting. Stepping up in the world, <laughs> ladies and gents. These are all free. You don't have to pay for them. And all you have to do is hit the subscribe button on your podcast listening app. How easy is that? I would encourage you to go onto iTunes and leave us not just any rating, but a five-star gold rating. Six stars if you can, please. Yeah, 10. I mean, 11. We said 11 before. We're going the wrong way. <laughs> I would personally be grateful and would gladly make a deposit for you in Bob's bank of awesomeness. It's a real bank, by the way. It's just most people don't have access to it. Oh. And you can only get withdrawals from me. Nice. Right. It's like an IOU. Non-transferable. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, infos, and photos from the episode. They will blow your mind. Blown. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, and bon voyage. Huevos con papas. Cheers. Do you have any funny stories? Funny stories. Entertain me, monkey. <laughs> Do a flip. I once peed myself in kindergarten. In front of everyone. <laughs> I was in the computer lab. Do you really want to tell this story? No. <laughs> My pop card smells good. Like a baby's bottom. <laughs> a baby powder. I understand what you're trying to say, but that was some weird delivery. Well, you know, since I am... I'm a lot of Cherokee Indian and Norwegian. Mm. I'm untouchable physically. I can do whatever. You look all of it. <laughs> I can walk across water. Wow. That's it's, amazing. It's Cherokee. It's, it's really. Wait, because either... you're only like 30% Cherokee? Do you, no. Can you only like hover like 30% of your upper body's outside? No, that's where the Viking comes in. Uh, really, you have to either be part Cherokee Indian and part Norwegian or all Jesus. <laughs> 100% Jesus. Did you not eat dinner? I didn't finish that donut fritter thing. I'm actually kind of mad at you about not taking the other half of the greatest. It was a blueberry fritter, which I didn't know was the thing until today. And I didn't know it was the thing until I put it in my mouth. At first, I <laughs> This cut... is an apple. <laughs> this isn't a vegetable. <laughs> oh, God. It's got a mind of its own. No, it doesn't. You trying to prop it between your belly and the edge of the table. I've been wearing on, been trying to work on this dad bod. Keep it going. I think you've achieved it. <laughs> Finally. How many dad bods do you have over there? <laughs>